Hi, welcome to JP Morgan TV. I'm Tom Salpik from Cross Asset Strategy. I'm joined by my colleagues, Grace Hang, Senior China Economist, and Wendy Liu, uh, Chief Asia and China Equity Strategist. Um, let's hear from, from Grace first. Welcome both to the program. So Grace, uh, China's reopening has been a bit weaker than, than initially expected uh, since April. Do you think we finally turned the corner with, with better growth ahead? And, and, and also, of course, we're just coming off the Golden Week. What are your takeaways from the Golden Week holiday activity? Hi, um, thank you, Tom. Uh, yeah, so indeed, if we look back, the um, reopening-related uh, recovery in China uh, this year has been um, somewhat weaker than expected. We did have a pretty strong first quarter rebound. Um, GDP growth was more than 10% on a quarter-on-quarter -quarter SAR basis, but then uh, we came down to a pretty soft second quarter with modest contraction actually in sequential terms uh, for the economy. And that um, raised a lot of concerns about the uh, macro side of um, the economy, including the weakness in the housing market, LGFV problem, uh, young unemployment, um, as well as uh, softness in private sector confidence. Um, the government seems to have come in to recognize that and since the Polybiro um, meeting in late July, um, they have been emphasizing on stabilizing growth, supporting uh, domestic demand, and so on. And indeed, since the mid of August, we have seen a series of um, modest but comprehensive policy easing and support um, uh, with focus on the housing sector, uh, including uh, demand side easing by lowering uh, first installment requirement, easing on uh, credit um, and uh, reducing mortgage rates and so on uh, to support housing demand and stabilize market sentiment. We also have monetary policy easing in terms of rate cuts um, and RR cuts, as well as on the fiscal side, acceleration on local government bond issuance. So um, with that whole backdrop, we started to see activity uh, uh, turning around from uh, August, um, including on the industry activity side, on the um, export side, and even a domestic demand and service sector. Um, and indeed, going forward, we do look for further uh, impact of the policy easing to carry through um, into the rest of the year. And so in that regard, um, we actually have recently uh, revised up our second half growth forecast moderately. So now we are looking for um, uh, on a sequential basis, a 5.3% growth in the third quarter and 4.9% uh, in the fourth quarter. Uh, that basically brings our full year growth uh, to uh, uh, 5%, uh, which is what the government has been intending to, which basically means that with um, a moderate um, a comprehensive policy easing to ensure that uh, you arrest the downside on growth and to achieve more or less around the growth target of 5%. And in terms of the, some of the latest uh, policy um, uh, developments on the ground, um, the um, National Day holiday, uh, Golden Week, um, has been uh, caught a lot of attention. And uh, in that sense, um, what we see is some uh, silver lining in the sense that if you look at uh, the number of uh, domestic uh, travels, um, spending uh, per head and so on, they have um, improved compared to the um, previous holiday uh, seasons uh, earlier this year. And they are largely kind of back to the pre-COVID level. So sending some um, uh, comfort that um, domestic uh, demand 
long-term uh, domestic consumption have been on uh, a, a moderate uh, recovery path uh, going forward. So that's what we are seeing, i.e. Um, the worst part of the slowdown um, uh, is behind us, and we are on the path to a moderate sequential recovery uh, for the rest of the year and achieving 5% for the full year. Thanks, Grace. Let's let's hear from Wendy on stocks now. So, so Wendy, a, a lot of people have drawn these parallels between China and, let's say, Japan way back in, in, during its bubble era. And you've done some work yourself on uh, on how topics has, has behaved post the Heisei boom. Um, so what are the takeaways for, for, for Chinese equities? Yeah, Tom. Yeah, indeed. A lot of investors are uh, looking at Japan and think there's an element of Japan's past being China's future. Um, so we examine how stocks traded at the index level, subsector level, and individual level post the Heisei boom. So that was December 1989. And from that point to June 2023, the topics returned 0.2%. But we found slightly over 40 stocks that offered annualized returns of 14%, either since December 89 or since subsequent IPOs. And there are three types, Tom. Value for money, exporters, competitive companies that you know, expanded beyond the whole market. Niche global leaders, they're just very good at a narrow segment and took it uh, broadly around the world. And then home market leaders that during a period of slow economic growth was able to expand domestic market share. And we got parallels in those with the Chinese stocks. There's about you know 38 of them. Um, so this is a broadly an environment that rewarded revenue growth and EPS growth. Thanks, Wendy. Let's let's turn back to Grace. Uh, Grace, in terms of what people were worried about before, China itself was the big worry for a lot of market participants. But now it seems the the picture is looking a bit better on on, on China. What are what do you think the outlook is for for policy support going ahead? And you know, one thing that I'd mentioned before before uh, before you answer is that in terms of what people have been focusing on, obviously you have the issue with rising yields in the U.S. and steepening yield curves. And of course, the, the latest issue with the, the unfortunate events in, in Israel. Uh, so what are the key risk factors you, you're monitoring? Thank you, Tom. So um, on the policy outlook front, uh, our baseline is looking for some further moderate policy support. Uh, on the fiscal side, possibly um, some further fiscal subsidy for um, some product-specific sectors like auto and uh, home appliances and so on. Um, and then um, also potentially more demand-side easing uh, for the housing sector, uh, such as relaxing the home purchase restrictions, uh, home sale restrictions, especially in the uh, tier one and some of the tier two cities. So um, these are um, the kind of um, further moderate policy support uh, that we are looking for. Um, but yeah, in terms of the um, uh, the, the uh, impact on um, uh, from the external side and the risk factors that we are monitoring, uh, indeed, um, what's happening with regard to U.S. use um, and um, uh, generally higher global use is, uh, and also a stronger U.S. dollar is that uh, to some extent that might restrain the room for further monetary policy easing, in particular. So in our baseline, uh, we actually do not have further rate cut or RR cut unless uh, macro data um, uh, comes into disappointment. 
point in the coming months. Um, in terms of the uh, domestic uh, risk factor, uh, we are still very much closely uh, monitoring the housing sector um, activity, as in while the government has eased uh, demand-side policy, um, we are still um, seeing um, only modest um, and somewhat fragile recovery in terms of home sale um, uh, transactions uh, in recent weeks. And more um, importantly, we are focusing on the supply side of the housing market. Uh, especially as a lot of the private sector developers have seen their balance sheet worsening uh, with ongoing financing stress. Um, and uh, if we look at the leading indicators such as land sale um, and new home um, started, they are still on a very, very weak trend that could imply that going into coming months, your real estate investment will remain on the softness side. So in that regard, uh, we will be closely watching uh, economic um, uh, housing market development and whether the government may come up with further policy support, especially uh, to help with the uh, private sector developers, which are facing ongoing uh, financing uh, stress. Um, and uh, on top of that, we will also be watching for a uh, government's uh, potential policy approach to address the LGFV problem. Um, there has been quite some discussion about a, um, a broader a, a, a policy plan uh, to address that through um, uh, some form of debt swap or uh, debt restructuring um, uh, with regard to the elevated LGFV um, uh, debt outstanding. And that would be important to not necessarily stimulate growth as such, but address some of the financial uh, risk factors. And of course, on top of that, geopolitics, as you mentioned, uh, is very important. Um, uh, uh, especially with regard to the development and outlook on US-China. Um, so I guess if we put everything together at this moment in time, uh, we have a still somewhat cautious outlook on the 2024 growth. Uh, we have 4.4% um, GDP forecast for 2024. Uh, but if some of these uh, risk areas that we mentioned uh, could play out um, uh, with um, uh, more um, a supportive policy or more benign development, then there could potentially be some risk on the upside uh, for growth next year. So it seems like the uh, the picture is improving a bit in China. Of course, up till now, for a while now, we've been a bit cautious on Chinese equity. So, so turning back to, to Wendy, I, I mean, uh, certainly we, we, it, Chinese equities have reached the point where they're undervalued, they're cheap, they're unloved, they're underowned. Uh, where does the call stand at this point? And, and also, I think you had we, we had spoken about some baskets ideas for, for implementing some things. So maybe you could touch on those things. So we were quite um, vocal about the reopen trade. That was pretty early in October, November, and also early February. Uh, but we did turn quite cautious uh, looking at a range bound market um, since mid-May. Um, now we think we're approaching the buying zone. Uh, MSCI closed yesterday at 58. We think this could trade above 66 um, in 4Q. Uh, investors we spoke with are incrementally more positive on the fundamentals and single stocks are now available at reasonable valuation and these are quality companies. They're more concerned about you know, DM inflation, higher for longer, capital outflow, including portfolio outflow, things like that. So I think with third quarter um, U.S.-China relationship, these discussions back and forth, and the dollar, uh, which is very important to EM risk assets, and then 
the LGFV debt swap, whether there'll be any upsizing above the 1.5 trillion and the uh, potential uh, Biden and Xi meeting at APEC, all these may offer upside. Now, you mentioned baskets. So we have those three stock lists related to what outperform during um, the two decades uh, in, in topics and the parallels uh, in China. And then the other area I think it's most interesting is the AI optionality trade. We did some studies into how far the valuation may reach for US stocks. There seems to be on a rolling historical means, the peak at about four standard deviation above. For Chinese names, it depends on the single stock. For some equipment names, it could reach four times standard deviation above. Uh, others, uh, carriers or uh, uh, um, you know, infrastructure providers, the ceiling is a bit lower at two to three times. So I think this is still a very good trade as we speak and we do have a greater China basket with us. And then finally, um, looking at how topics traded and the issues it, it had to deal with on the banking sector, a key uh, catalyst for topics in 1998 was the recap of the banking system. And uh, I think in terms of how much MSCI China has corrected by standard deviation to historical mean, the valuation is that fourth quarter 1998. By how far it's come down from the peak by standard deviation to historical mean, it is at 4Q of 1996. So the key determinant as to whether are the 96 or 98, 98 is more favorable, is the pace of financial reform. And the LGFV swap uh, would be a key uh, key uh, variable there. And I think earlier this year, banks didn't uh, talk about NIM could be coming down, uh, but then they did. And so the next thing to watch is if bank may start to talk about NPL. And I think with that, that would be the beginning of getting the overall debt problem uh, resolved. Um, so we would stick with the best capitalized banks in this case. Okay, great. Thank you, Wendy. Thank you, Grace, for joining us. And thank you all for tuning in to JP Morgan TV.